source to pay, RFI, RFP, procure to pay, goods receipt, accounts payable. It's easy to get lost in procurement jargon, but at the end of the day, it's all just about buying better. And that's what I try to help you with here at Pure Procurement. Usually what happens is you have to send drawings, you have to send models to your suppliers in order to get uh, your prices and and to buy. And usually what happens in an organization, it just gets really, really messy. Different engineers or different uh, purchasing agents do it really differently uh, between organizations. But what's very common is that they do it in a siloed way. They do it via emails. They do it via their own separated spreadsheets. Uh, which leaves a lot of room for mistakes. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Pure Procurement, the show where we help you demystify procurement and source to pay to show you how it can create value for your business. Today, we're talking about the sourcing process for manufactured parts. More specifically, we're covering how to optimize this process within your organization and how it's different from just plain old regular sourcing. So if you buy custom parts in any of your business units, this episode's for you. To help me discuss the subject, I'm joined by Adar Hay. He's the CEO at Giga, a company that does exactly that. Uh, they help manufacturers source and collaborate with suppliers while removing friction in the process to get you better lead times, better prices, and overall just less email. So during our chat, we covered a variety of topics, such as the best practices around manufactured parts sourcing, the typical pain points and value drivers associated to this process, where a tool like Giga would fit into an overall uh, procurement IT architecture, given that there are other sourcing tools on the market for other commodities. Uh, you may be using a CLM, a source-to-pay suite, or an ERP, and how everything should fit together. How to adopt and successfully roll out a manufactured part sourcing tool. And we'll also get into some interesting case studies near the end of the episode. So join me for this conversation with Adar. We had a lot of fun just uh, nerding out on procurement and, and procurement tools and I hope you'll enjoy it. I'll catch up with you at the end of the episode. Cheers. Welcome to the podcast, Adar. Great to have you. Great to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Joel. Just before we get into the the subject matter at hand today, I I just wanted folks to get a sense for uh, who you are, what you do. So I wondering if you could introduce yourself. Um, I know you're, you're the CEO at Giga Inc., um, and yeah, fun fact about yourself or anything that, that might uh, help break the ice here. Yeah, so um, as you said, I'm the CEO of Giga. Um, we help companies with uh, their manufacturing, sourcing. And a, fa- a fun fact about me, yeah, I, I like singing. That one. Oh, yeah, you're a singer. I didn't know yeah. that. That's In the car. In the car. <laughs> so no, <laughs> no recorded albums then. Oh, yeah, I have some. <laughs> No, okay, no. awesome. We'll have to we'll have to we'll have to figure out how to uh, get listeners in touch with your music then. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, and and as you mentioned, like manufactured parts sourcing is, is what you guys do at Giga. So that's that's kind of what I wanted to get your perspective on today uh, as we get through go through this conversation. Um, so just to make sure we're on the same page for our discussion and and just for listeners to have a, a basis to start from. Uh, perhaps we could start with the basis, right? How uh, the basics, I should say. How do you define manufactured part sourcing? So uh, a typical sourcing process, as uh, as you know, you you have a need, you um, make a purchase requisition, you get approval to start uh, sourcing, you uh, request for quotes and, and approve them. Um, but in many organizations, uh, people think about it like, yeah, I need a part. Uh, especially if I'm in uh, hardware development, I need a part, I request a quote or even put, throw the file in some software, get a price as fast as possible and and get the part. Um, so this is the basics of, of how a process looks like. And so to me, in, in relation with normal sourcing or when I say normal so- sourcing, I use air quotations, right? The, the sourcing process in general, what's specific about manufactured part sourcing is that we, we have a potentially a drawing at the beginning or, um, you know, specific requirements that are custom to the part that we're buying. So we're not necessarily buying something that already has a SKU or a part number or, uh, you know, that's not already predefined with the vendor, right? Exactly. Yeah. You 
have a custom requirement. So it's not like uh, the uh, supplier knows what you uh, want to buy. You don't have a set price. You don't have a set uh, lead time for that part because it can be different for every part. Uh, so there's a lot of iterations around uh, this process and a lot of back and forth with the, the suppliers in order to get to the uh, wanted result. Um, the company might not have everything in place or not necessarily know what material they need or what finishing they need. So it can turn into um, a consultative relationship as well until you get to the final result. So there is a collaboration that's going on with the purchasing or with the sourcing itself. So there is the business side and there is the technical side. And that's what makes it more complex. You don't really know what you're buying. You don't really know the price. Uh, so there's a lot of faces to it. Great. Yeah, you, you don't necessarily know where, where, where you're going to end up when you start the process. So I could see, you know, I think you, you hit the hit nail on the head with there's more complexity with sourcing of manufactured parts or custom parts than you would have with uh, sourcing of, you know, office supplies or that sort of thing. Exactly. So what, what are the, the main value drivers that you see uh, by spending time on optimizing this manufactured part sourcing process within businesses, especially versus other types of sourcing? So just because we mentioned that this process takes a lot of time, it's very iterative, it involves a lot of uh, ingredients. So if you uh, shorten that process, if you make it more efficient, you can get uh, your parts faster, you can release products faster, you can get to market faster, and you can save a lot of time to your employees because they waste so much time on that, right? And because it's such a time-sensitive process, many times we see how companies overpay for parts too, just because they need them fast and because of the inertia and because a lot of other things, it makes a lot of room for, for improvement and for optimization. Because if you can get your parts faster, you can deliver projects faster, you can um, save operational costs, which is crucial for manufacturers. And that's why optimizing this process is very important for manufacturers to stay competitive, stay in the game, release products uh, faster. Interesting. And just as, as you were saying that, I was picturing as well, you know, if I'm trying to build a vehicle or if I'm trying to build a new motor, a new, you know, a new something, and I have a bunch of different parts that all need to be designed, manufactured, uh, tested, and then to get to a final product, I may have I may have dependencies as well, right, where I need to uh, manufacture certain core parts and then be able to manufacture parts that will attach to these core parts. And so exactly. if, if I'm taking, you know, it's exponentially longer if I'm taking, uh, if I don't have an optimized manufactured part sourcing process uh, exactly. and, in, and that, you, in that process. You gave the, the example of a car, right? So in a car, you have a bit of materials of many, many, many parts, Right? And if you want to build something and some parts get delayed, it can delay many processes for a manufacturer. It could be very painful and cost a lot. They can uh, be late for delivering to their own customers. Uh, they can um, deliver what they want later in the process. Um, so, and, and if you think about it, like if that process is complex for every part in the bomb or most parts in the bomb, so it just makes it a lot more um inefficient yeah and, and i see another dimension of complexity as you're saying that which is you know if i'm building a car i can't use the same supplier for all my different parts right if i'm if there's seats if there's uh, headlamps uh, headlights uh, steering wheels uh, engine components those are all going to be different suppliers as well right so there's not only the the integration needed with every single supplier on every part but also the integration needed between the different parts and the different suppliers, right? Right. You have to match the supplier with what they're capable of doing. And you have, as we said earlier, you have the business side of the relationship and also the, uh, or the commercial side and also the, the technical side. So this, it, it adds to another kind of complexity because different functions that know different things and have to communicate with the suppliers in different ways. Uh, so it just adds a lot of, um, of complexity to the whole process. Okay. And so as we're building up this uh, tower of complexity, <laughs> I'm no. wondering what, what typical pain points you see. I can kind of foreshadow. I think we foreshadowed a couple of them uh, in what we just said, but what kind of, kind of pain points do you see in organizations 
trying to to optimize this process? Yeah, so usually what happens is um, they, you have to send drawings, so you have to send uh, models to your suppliers in order to get uh, your prices and, and to buy. And usually what happens in an organization, it just gets really, really messy. Like different engineers or different uh, purchasing agents do it really differently uh, between organizations. But what's very common is that they do it in a siloed way. They do it via emails. They do it via their own separated spreadsheets, uh, which leaves a lot of room for mistakes because, uh, as we said, there's revision changes. There is a lot of iteration. So uh, human error is very, very common. It, it leaves error. It leaves place for um, not knowing what happens, right? Because each person works with his own his own files. So uh, just understanding what happens even within your team becomes very hard. And also just a lot of manual time that you spend on these tasks because uh, just think about like you have a lot of revisions with your um, with one of your suppliers in a certain part of your bill of materials and you have many, many more. And then you have to find that last revision um, and know what, what was sent to who and which quote had to be picked and which, which quote you need to put in the ERP. So it just gets very, very um, complex. And this just causes delays. It causes the, the projects to delay. It causes the, um, the engineers to design less and uh, just lack of visibility that leads to a lot of mistakes. Okay. So I, I, I'd see that as, yeah, like document management, uh, versioning management, and, and just general communication processes where, uh, or procedures where, you know, you need to have a, a good uh, handle on, okay, well, what are they going to be the, the parts of the revision process and the quoting process with, with the supplier and, and, and being able to all work in the same way? Yeah, and you said a very good word, it's a process, and um, many people don't treat that as a process that should be consistent. Each person does it a little bit differently, and that creates a lot of room for error. And so, you know, kind of going going further on that line of thought, do you do you believe there's a way to optimize this process um, to resolve all the pain points without technology? So I know you know the CEO of a tech company, but if I'm if I'm running my own shop and I'm I'm buying manufactured parts and I have a growing team, what are the sorts of things I can do without technology to to, to get an optimal process? Well, we didn't have the right to exist if uh, if you could solve it in entirely without technology, but uh, you can definitely do uh, quite a few things to get better at this. And uh, one key thing is consistency. You want to have a consistent process and, uh, and, and just keep doing that. This allows you to uh, better analyze information, to better have, like, just for example, you have a template to, uh, to email and to request for a quote and to know what name would be in the email and not just have different subject lines for different kinds of communication. Just keep it very organized, like not um, working the same thread about other items with the same supplier, right? Because that creates a lot of mess and you have to have a consistent process with, within people. Like you have to have a very set uh, way to uh, define responsibilities between people. Um, so each person knows what he or she is, is doing. And the other key thing is collaboration. So you want to work collaboratively to prevent mistakes. And you, have, you can have the simplest technology, right? You can have um, a, a collaborative document where you just track what's going on, but in, in a way that everyone can see it. And this, also, this already prevents a lot of error. Right. And when you spoke about responsibilities as well, and, and just these two concepts of collaboration and, and standardization, uh, I also see having to onboard new vendors to your way of working as well, right? To make sure that, yes. that you do keep that consistency, not just internally, but with your vendor base. Yes. And this is uh, not always easy. You have to um, set expectations with your supplier in about what information you want. You don't want to um, 
request too much. You, you sometimes don't have the ability to request too much. You don't have the buying power, et cetera, but you want to make it very clear about what you're measuring them on and what kind of information you want from them and in what way you want to get it. If you make it very standardized and, and you set up the expectations correctly, um, you will get a lot more information, a lot more collaboration, a lot more visibility uh, with your suppliers. Awesome. So I, I kind of see the, the common thread, right, of, of being able to share information in a standardized way with, with uh, standard process steps that everybody understands, agrees to, and then, um, you know, maybe supporting that with a bit of technology that's more, you know, email, uh, shared documents, shared drives, that sort of thing. Um, but I think that, you know, inevitably, as you start putting that process in place, you'll realize that there's there's complexities in, in managing this thing uh, and enabling or, or respecting a certain level of rigor, right? Because if, if everybody was super rigorous around respecting that process, then you might be able to get away with, with just the, uh, you know, the, 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 the standard tools of, of Word and shared drives and emails. But typically, yeah. you know, especially as you grow as a company, things start to fall off the rails and, and you need to, you're spending a lot of time bringing, reining things back in. Um, so I, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what kind of tools, uh, more sophisticated tools can help maximize the value associated to those, those different drivers that we uh, discussed earlier. So the main point of these tools is, it's almost like uh, opinionated uh, software. It's, it's software that forces um, a certain process that fits the organization. On one hand, it makes things easy, makes things automated. Um, so you don't have to, so many things that you used to do, you used to, to allocate a lot of time for, it, it becomes automated. And it makes it easy to understand what happens. So just, um, streamlines the whole uh, ability to see that data, like to see uh, what happens with my part, what's, uh, what's my supplier's performance, what's the last part revision. And so uh, another thing is just that visibility. Um, so not only to centralize and collect the data, but making it uh, possible to see easily what's happening um, and, and across different people. So, uh, as, as we said, like, first of all, it, it forces a process, it centralizes information, it makes it accessible, it automates manual activities. Um, and it also, one thing I, I would add, because this is essential, is it integrates with the existing uh, company tools, because you want to have that centralized source of truth. Um, so you won't get like siloed uh, information sources. Yeah, and I see, I see as you're describing that, I kind of see the word story comes to mind, right? I'm able to see the story of each of the the parts that we're sourcing, where they tie into potentially a bomb and potentially a, a larger project as well, and drill down on on the audit trail for each of those parts and and where they've been in the RFQ process or the development process with the supplier. You know, as you said, that the last price that that we may have paid in the past for that part, if we're going for, you know, repurchasing of a of a part in the future with with the same supplier, or if you want to source again, you know, do a source again with uh, other suppliers using that that same history that's been used in the past. Exactly, it's like there's a goldmine of data that just stays within people's emails and and spreadsheets that they deleted, and it's it's a shame because you can do a lot with that information. Like you can know. Uh, which supplier you work with in the past and and what part did they make if you made it well. Uh, you can measure their performance. You can see what quotes uh, you got for a specific part. So this is valuable information that you can use. Uh, and, and instead of um, just leaving it in, in in people's emails. Yeah, and you might not know that you'll use it in the past. So you might not be, or use it in the future, I should say. So you might not be... Um, thinking about capturing it up front or thinking about structuring your your documentation or your your internal process in that yeah. way as well and it's impossible, I think, right yeah. because you, you need to make your you, you need to do your work so just trying to track it it's very hard you need to uh, have it as part of your workflow to to have it tracked automatically without uh, you having to do anything mm-hmm 
And the um, another thing you mentioned, which I thought was interesting, is around you know the the ease of use or the 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 ability to use it without necessarily having to. Well, the thought that came to my head was having to train your folks uh, very extensively on you know a process or how to go about it. Right, if you're able to intuitively you know have someone log into an RFQ platform with uh, an engineer with their drawings and and then kind of be guided through the process of of hey okay you need to select suppliers and you know you send out the quotes and then get the quotes back uh, and then see if the, it meets your um your expectations in terms of the technical requirements and the price uh, as well right and then being able to integrate that or or um collaborate with procurement on that right to make sure that you know, if if we if we believe that that's the best offer that we can get, or if we need to include more additional vendors in the exercise, the RFQ exercise to get us to um, to the different spending targets or spend targets with each of those parts, right? So um, that's that's something that came to mind with me right around the training. So I don't know if you have a perspective on that in terms of ease of use. Yeah, for sure. If you make it very easy to comply, um, you increase compliance, right? Um, because people are just guided through what they should be doing instead of being told this is how you should do that. You just, it's very easy to follow that process because uh, a, a, a tool just guides you through it. So it tells you what you need to do and then you just, you, you, pull in, you put in the information in the right way, both you and the supplier. Um, the supplier has to put in the information in a certain way, which makes it easy to collect the data, which makes it easy to analyze and look at it and, uh, and, and work collaboratively on it. Yeah, cool. And, and I'm wondering what the, uh, so there's all sorts of different types of organizations I could see uh, a tool like this being useful for, uh, you know, smaller, smaller companies where, uh, you know, they may not have a huge spend or a huge um supply not supplier but employee count um and then you know all the way to, to bigger organizations i'm thinking about the boeings of the world and you know manufacturing an airplane and and all the uh the complexity that that requires so when we think about those different types of organizations maybe we can touch on on um you know smaller medium businesses and then enterprise uh enterprise clients what do you see the end state the ideal end state for an organization looking like like when they use a manufactured part sourcing tool so obviously they they have their um uh, existing system usually the erps the plms um they they have a gap and once this gap is filled this is the ideal state in my opinion like whatever is um concerning the the external supplier, it just turns back into emailing, it turns back into spreadsheets, it, it just gets back to the, the, the manual tools. And if you breach that gap, so you can say the gap between the PLM and the ERP, right? Because you you have a part that you need to, to make, and then you go through the, the quoting process, the, the, the feedback with the supplier, DFM feedback, and then you uh, move on to a purchase order to, to purchase it. And then you get back to the ERP, but everything in between is is invisible. Is and just just for uh, for the the folks that might not know what PLM and ERP are, would you mind enlightening us? Sure. So PLM is a product product lifecycle management tool, basically where a company manages their their parts, their the parts of the products, and an ERP is an enterprise resource planning. Uh, uh, system where they have all of their basically all of their information inventory human resources etc so uh, most of the business information is is in there so it's impossible to um to purchase something without creating a purchase order in the erp um, right so then so then there's a gap between uh between that place where they design the product uh or decide on what parts is going are going to be there and the erp where they issue the orders. So everything in between is just like somewhere. Right, right. In, in uh, as you say, in different different uh, email inboxes and Word documents and Excel files that we may have exported from the PLM. And then we're trying to collaborate with suppliers on on getting, getting to a final version of the product based on their capabilities for machining or, or manufacturing. Uh, exactly. And then... 
and then getting those final prices and then being able to input that in our ERP for for final ordering and, and tying that back with the, the financial accounting system. Right. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Great. And so, yeah, I could see, I could see where that that's in. And so I, I imagine that um, a tool like that would need certain, certain out of the box integrations to, to be useful, right? So to, to make sure that we're not, um, we're not creating just two, uh, two areas where we need manual integration now, right? Between the PLM and your sourcing tool and then between the sourcing tool and the ERP. Yeah. Yeah, you would need uh, to have, uh, if, you're, if you're using an ERP, obviously not, maybe not applicable to a small company, uh, but if you're using an ERP for purchase orders, so you would need uh, some kind of integration that, it, it will make it talk to each other and have that same uh, information in both systems simultaneously. Okay, great. And just um, uh, from from a Giga standpoint, uh, are you are those those integrations top of mind as well? Like, what are the typical integrations that you see uh, as required to to make this process and tool successful? Yeah, definitely a, a required integration uh, that comes up a lot is the ERP integration. Um, when you issue a purchase order, you want it to be integrated uh, with Giga um, so that when you turn a selected quote into a purchase order, uh, you can get through the approval process uh, through mostly through the ERP, but sometimes through Giga too, um, and just have it all um, synchronized. You don't want to lose data in between these processes. Right now, what happens is you you actually don't have anything, right? You just have emails and then you turn it into a purchase order, which is the problem. But then you want to eliminate the problem entirely. Uh, so you want to create it uh, to make it very, very streamlined. Okay, so being able at the end of, you know, I, I, I uh, design my parts or I send my drawings to the supplier. Uh, they send me back, uh, you know, a final version. We may collaborate on that a little bit more. Uh, get to a final final version and final price based on batch size or you know based on other pricing parameters that could come and influence the price. And then being able to take that information, sign off on it in in Giga, and then potentially uh, push push that to my ERP to create exactly. that purchase order and and get it sent off to the vendor for for production. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And what about on the PLM side? Have you seen uh, any needs for integrations there? Yeah, so if you think about uh, the ERP, which is uh, in the end of the process, so PLM would be in the beginning of the process. Um, so just if you think about it, like uh, engineers, technical people might export their designs, their drawings from the PLM, attach them to their emails, attach them to whatever they use to send it to their suppliers. So then just this is this integrates into the beginning of the process in Giga. So um, you can integrate that into uh, Giga and then send the RFQ, send the requests and, and the communication, the files for the communication through the PLM. So in, in detail, that mean like importing, for example, a, a bill of materials uh, of a specific project or um, specific product that we're working on and then being able to uh, you know, set, bring my drawings in as well, and and then start launching my RFQs on that on that structure, so that I'm able to report in Giga on, okay, well, what is the advancement of all the RFQs for for the different parts of the bomb? Yeah, you can definitely just um, export your uh, the things that you're working on into Giga, and then create an RFQ from Giga. And so I'm able to to kind of see at a glance in Giga as well the um, the status of uh, my sourcing for for a product as well with yes. all the different components of that product. Yeah, you can um, divide it by projects or by product or by people, and that allows you to um, to just maintain different bombs, different products, and know what happens with with the parts there. That's interesting. And I, I know Giga is not the only solution out there that, that does manufactured parts sourcing. So I'm curious to know what you see as the main differences between uh, the different solutions out there, right? Whether it be just in, in your approach and your mindset of how you see the problem and, and how it influences, you know, your development roadmap and how you, you develop your solution, or if it's more, you know, it's more soft in terms of 
you know, how people implement that sort of thing, right? So I'm just curious to know what you see as the main differences between different solutions on the market. Yeah. Uh, so our Ajiga, our approach is that, um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the engineering is is very essential, in especially in the R&D or maintenance uh, kind of use cases where you have a lot of technical collaboration with suppliers and they you don't want to leave them out of the conversation. We made it very engineering oriented. We make it very technical friendly so you can have the technical discussion and you can have the commercial discussion and the platform it treats them both very well. Um, so you won't, you won't need to get out of the platform to do the uh, FM feedback, you will have all of the um, technical requirements uh, available to to put to the supplier and to communicate in a high professional level instead of getting out of it. So this is one thing. And the other thing is just making it very, very easy to use. Um, so we know that if you get into complex purchasing terms or, um, or, or anything that makes it harder for the person to intuitively understand what he should do, um, you just won't use it. So a lot of the emphasis is about just making it very easy, very familiar, uh, very similar to maybe what you're um, improvising on right now. We see a lot of ways that people use to do uh, to to work with, with before they try to work with Jiga. Uh, so we want to imitate um, the way that they think and make it very, very easy and, and intuitive for them to use. Can you give a, a concrete example on when you say like technical focus on technical on being able to to give engineers the the technical um, functionality they need to be able to to correctly collaborate with suppliers? Like what would that look like uh, in a given use case? Sure. So for example, we support uh, every kind of uh, engineering file. Um, the platform can read from the engineering file. It can uh, extract the information and put it in a way that the supplier would understand easily. Um, the engineer and the supplier can collaborate over the engineering file in a 3D form. Um, they can uh, really, it supports their the process that they're used to do via email. It just structures uh, that makes it much more streamlined and convenient, but it understands the engineer. So when, when a technical person looks at the technical side of the platform, he instantly gets it, instantly understands uh, what uh, he or she should do. I guess you'd be trying to capture as well, like different types of um, engineering processes or manufacturing processes that need to be used to create that part. If if the the engineer exactly. already has certain perspectives on you know what needs to be used or done to to create the part. Exactly, like pre-field uh, fields that you can uh, adjust and select from a range of materials and processes instead of having to uh, decide uh, on your own. And just the structure of, of how you would make it is very oriented towards the manufacturing industry and specific for the for the technical people too, while supporting the, the commercial, the, the procurement people to be able to um, control the process, see it, uh, give the, the engineers the freedom uh, to buy whenever they, they want to give them the freedom and whenever they don't just um, control the process themselves, uh, but but really adjust to their own their own process the real way they're used to doing things. Okay, awesome. And I kind of see uh, what, what the answer to my next question, but I'll ask it anyway because it's the, the elephant in the room is, you know, you have all these other sourcing platforms out there that are on the Gartner Magic Quadrant reports, right? So, um, thinking about uh, Fair Market, Ariba, Coupa, Ivalua, Jagger, all these these source to pay suites that don't only just cover sourcing, but also contract management, uh, procure to pay, invoicing, spend analytics, that sort of thing. Where do you where do you see? Uh, Giga fitting in the puzzle in, in a, an organization or in that landscape, right? And in an organization where they might already have a, a source to pay suite. Yeah, for sure. So um, the tools that you mentioned uh, are very, are serving a lot of use cases. Uh, they're serving a lot of industries and, and they're very horizontal and, and that's good because that's uh, what they're good at, that what they should do. Um, and the opportunity, and I think it's not only for Giga or for even for this 
the supply chain and resourcing space is to create tools for uh, verticals to make it very, very good for that specific vertical, like 10x better. And I honestly believe that we are 10x better and, and we're making it um, much more efficient for, for manufacturing organizations. You have so many nuances in, in this industry um, that working with a, a horizontal tool that serves so many other industries is just really, really hard. It requires a lot of changes and implementations and education. And, uh, and, and it's really, a lot of the time, it's not sustainable. So the times we heard that companies that use a, an existing sourcing tool uh, but but no one actually uses it, or or at least like many people don't actually use it is is big because um, many times it just they say that it doesn't fit their own workflow. It's not that they're bad, but it just it doesn't match what I need to to get done. So I just get out of it. Um, so I think this is an opportunity for for many other companies to to pop in different industries uh, and, and make vertical tools, tools that serves a, a specific vertical. Yeah. And I, I really like your perspective because it, it kind of, I've spoken on this a couple of times and it aligns with what I see, right. Which is, you know, you have your ERP system, the promise in the nineties and two thousand was, Oh, you know, install your ERP system. And for procurement, you know, you'll have a structured process with requisitions and approvals and purchase orders, goods, receipts, invoicing. Right. And what we see is, the ERP is also the system for finance, HR, uh, you know, all these other functions within the business. So there's a limit to the depth of functionality that you get in, the, in an ERP to support procurement. So as soon as you start getting in categories that are a bit more funky, as you said, you know, you need to, to develop additional functionality or, or manual processes to help you support that. And that's where in the 2000s and and uh, 2010s, we see the advent of the source to pay suite, uh, mm -hmm. right? To be able to, to come and kind of bolt that on top of your ERP system to help you with indirect purchasing uh, scenarios where ERP is a bit, um, you know, less, um, uh, less, less good to support um, and to help you with uh, sourcing and contract management, which most ERPs don't support very well either. So uh, source to pay comes and fills that gap. But to your point, it's also very, very horizontal, right? Very wide and covers uh, everything for the procurement fun fun function from end to end. And so for specific categories, specific use cases, it, it doesn't suit it as well, right? And that's where with Chiga and with other tools, as you mentioned, there's an opportunity to come and address verticals like, you know, very specific verticals like manufactured part sourcing within the sourcing process and, and put that on top of your existing ERP and source to pay landscape within your business, right? To, to be able to come and keep extracting the value uh, from uh, those processes uh, by, by leveraging technology, but also doing it in a way that allows you to build build on top of what you already have, right? And and not yeah. necessarily replace or don't need to tear anything out, but it's always in a in a mindset of yeah, it's coming and squeezing more value out of your out of, out of the sponge. Exactly, yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. I think that you this is a great analysis. And, and I'd be curious to know, like, so right, I think that what other misconceptions uh, you would see around manufactured part sourcing tools, given given what we just discussed. Mm -hmm. I think that one common misconception is that um, it has to be like w when people hear about uh, manufacturing sourcing tool, they say uh, that my suppliers might not uh, adopt it or not go with it and uh, that they don't have enough leverage to make them use it. But uh, some, sometimes they don't understand that the supplier also experiences a lot of inefficiencies. So they are the other side of the emailing. So yeah, you they don't want to work hard in logging into different systems of their customers, right? But if you make it very easy for them, it's actually more convenient for them too. Um, so that's one thing that I see. People are worried that they might not get their suppliers to work and, and comply with their processes. Um, but sometimes it makes it easy for the supplier too. And I imagine you have a 
an existing supplier database uh, within the tool of, of folks that are already on there as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, you can use the tool to discover new suppliers and work with them and and start working with them very easily. That's part of the value that, that we're giving because what we noticed is that sometimes people want to meet new suppliers and work with them. And that's how um, we make it easy for them to not search via a random Google search, but actually um, work with a vetted, trusted supplier that we uh, take responsibility for, and uh, and it gives them a lot of value for uh, diversifying their supply chain, finding new solutions, reducing their costs, getting better speed, etc. Awesome, awesome. And that's not to say I I, I want to dismiss the the first point you made about uh, you know the the difficulty of onboarding suppliers to a new tool, but I think that's something important to consider as well, right? Is is that you're able to to widen the horizon at low cost uh, by using one of these tools as well. Yeah. Um, and what do you see as the, the the best way to address that with suppliers? Like, what how do you see the best way to break down that that resistance if there is any? So what we see that works best is uh, whenever you start working with a new tool or process, don't change process every two weeks, right? But um, whenever you start that, um, you want to uh, set expectations to introduce that to the supplier, like with a direct email that introduces them, uh, the new way of doing things. That's what I expect. Sometimes it requires like a, a quick conversation, but it doesn't matter if even if the the tool is the easiest, you would need if you need any change in the behavior of the supplier, even if it's easier for them, you need to, to notify them um, and, and set the expectations there. I think that's the key, the key part. And uh, as I said, like not, don't change it too often. Like just try to try to be consistent with, with what you do and then suppliers get used to it. So maybe the first uh, first time, second time they, they struggle, but then they understand it, it becomes very easy. So being able to, to, in a way, have a change management strategy and plan for for communication with suppliers externally as as you internally as well, right? Because your employers are going to start using a new tool, um, and being able to to have sort of a hypercare strategy as well, where you're saying, okay, well, the first few events, you know, we'll sit down and do them with you, either live in person or over the phone or you know in screen share, and we can show you how it works, and and being able to to slowly uh, onboard them to that change and that that new way of working yeah and it doesn't take uh very long and it's usually very very much worth it uh, instead of doing things in in ways that that don't really get you the results that you want yeah because that's what i imagine right if the payoff is there then you know you don't need to sell them on uh continuing because they see the value uh up front yeah and so that kind of brings me to my next question around the implementation or rollout process for a tool like Geo, right? So how would you, what does that look like? How long does it take? Um, what sort of activities need to happen? Um, so usually it's very, de- it depends on uh, what integrations and what implementations you would need, but uh, sometimes it's just plug and play. If you don't have, uh, if you don't have integrations to do, so for some companies, they, and they work it with it this way. And then it's just about onboarding your suppliers and uh, letting them know that you use a new tool, making them work with it and, and start. Um, so it's a, it's a matter of uh, educating your team and your suppliers, and that's it. It's pretty easy and pretty intuitive to use. So sometimes, a lot of the time, we see suppliers uh, just start using it without any education, just because uh, they understand. Um, but but sometimes you will need to to do that. And uh, if there is a, an integration process, so, uh, uh, so so we usually like uh, customize that according to the company's process and, and make sure that it stays um, the way they do business because each company does it a little bit differently. Uh, so you want to be um, to, to keep that approval levels to keep that. Um, that business relationships that happen outside to to make it work within the tool. Okay, interesting. So just uh, like I I get that the context will be different, but let's say, you know, we don't consider the integration. Is it a matter of weeks, of months? Uh, How long long do you see 
um, the typical, you know, mobilization of the team, configuration of the tool and the processes, implementation and, and go live. Um, it's usually time, months. Timeline. Uh, yeah, weeks. a couple of months. Weeks. 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 Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, and I guess it depends on on how ready the the customer is internally to you know how how well they know their existing requirements and processes and and um, how quick they take decisions. Yes, yeah, and sometimes uh, that's it. Like this is when there is an integration process. That this is when you have to train uh, dozens of employees. If that's not the case, it can happen in minutes, literally, like uh, just in a quick educational session and uh, you're ready to go. So okay. this is how fast you can start. If you want to start, uh, you know, running a proof of concept, for example, you could do that very quickly. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, I, I bet, could you share like a case study or example of, of one of your clients that used Jika and just like a, hopefully a success story? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so there's actually a very, very typical use case when uh, the, the purchasing wants to, uh, give freedom to the engineers uh, without losing their control. Um, so, so one company that uh, uses Jigas use, uses exactly that. It's a semiconductor uh, company, a, a large enterprise, uh, and they let their engineering team use Jiga with the relevant permissions and the relevant um, restrictions. So they have a budget; they can uh, work with that budget uh, freely. Uh, and, but then also the, the procurement agents and the sourcing agents can see the activity of the engineers and know what they're doing and, uh, and, and analyze the activity later. So uh, it just gives them a lot of, um, it just uh, reduces a lot of the friction that used to, to happen there. Because if you think about it, like when before that engineers had to do it themselves, send the, 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 a few quotes to the sourcing agents and approve them, get it through the approval process. It took so much time to just order a part. I mean, you have a, a budget and you can work with that within the system without uh, getting approval for payment every time. It just releases a lot of a lot of friction in the process and just reduces the time uh, that you can get parts uh, ordered just in, in weeks, literally. So this yeah. was a very successful a very successful case by just by solving that with um, with a few process changes that were supported by by uh, Giga. So if I understand correctly, instead of having procurement be an active uh, player in the process where you know they you need to submit things to procurement, they need to review them, come back to you. Like instead of having them be a a bottleneck in the process, essentially, it was more. Okay, what are the business rules that the procurement wants to make sure are enforced, and and making those, um, configuring those within the tool, so that, and and giving procurement visibility into into what's going on, right? So the engineer has more autonomy in in running his project and and getting his his quotes and versioning the the drawings with suppliers, um, and has those guardrails of the business rules that procurement's trying to enforce, and then. Procurement can also come in and, and look at what's going on and say, oh, maybe we have an opportunity here for a better sourcing strategy or a better, you know, a better way of going about it to get uh, to get a certain result, whether that be price or better lead times or what have you, right? Better better quality uh, with the supplier, right? So, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, for sure, that's exactly right. They get they give the, their engineering team the autonomy without losing the control. That's the main the main idea here because they couldn't give them the autonomy to do whatever they want because then it would just be a mess and the and lack of compliance and they could they wouldn't be able to see and uh, it would just cre- create a lot of uh, a lot of other issues. So that enabled them to stay in control. Stay keep seeing the things, keep monitoring the processes, but also give the autonomy when needed instead of being a bottleneck. Right, right. And then, uh, yeah, I often hear like compliance control with with uh, in the procurement space, but I think it's also like making <laughs> sure that, yes, you're, you're complying with your company's procurement policies and or, you know, risk management strategies, but also the category strategy, right? So if 
if for manufactured parts we're trying to uh, give a certain volume to certain suppliers because you know it gives us a volume discount at the end of the year and and overall it has a real impact on the company's bottom line then we're able to see the progression of that as well at the at the overarching level of all the the RFQs everything that's going out to suppliers and and we're able to course correct either on the strategy because the strategy is not working at an operational level and we adjust it or at the operational level because we're not respecting the strategy and, and we want to be able to meet meet it, right? Whether it's, as I said, you know, cost savings based or, or volume rebate based or even if we have certain um, diversity targets that we want to meet in terms of the suppliers that we use, right? So I think those are probably all things that that get much easier through Giga or solutions like Giga. Exactly, and yeah, you, you, you needless to say that the visibility here is, is super important for uh, the procurement teams, and even if it's for R&D parts, they can use that later for different purposes. They can use that for production, etc. So um, this ability to see and control without uh, holding the process is very important for them. Cool, and so I, I know we could keep talking about this probably for another hour because we're both uh, pretty passionate about it but I'm um, uh, just to, to tend towards wrapping up I'd be interested to know what's the best way for for clients to start their manufactured parts sourcing tool journey right like is there uh, is there a point at which you would say they're ready to engage uh, a partner such as Giga or another uh, manufactured parts sourcing tool is there pre-work that they should be doing before engaging you yeah, I think that um, you, you will need to have a considerable amount of orders and uh, and volume of of ordering in order for it to make sense to dedicate time and resources for a, for dedicated tool, right? If you spend like five uh, k a year on on manufactured parts, it probably doesn't make sense for you. So that that's the first thing, and I, I would say like a few hundreds of uh, of thousands of dollars uh, per year is is already an amount uh, that makes sense to uh, to, to, to invest in such tool. Um, and the, the, the preparation work, I would say, um, no, because that's what we do. So, um, whenever someone contacts us, we analyze their existing process and we uh, provide them with, with the right solution. So I would say just type in J I G A dot I O and, uh, and, and, and we'll go from there. <laughs> Yes, that's good. So, so if I understand correctly, you do all of the implementation work. You're not necessarily using any partners at this point to to do the work. It's really all Giga A to Z. Yes, yes. With that said, um, maybe down the road we have partners that that will help. Okay, interesting. Uh, and and well, I think you already answered my last question, which was was the best way to for listeners to get in touch with Giga. So on your website, but is there any other are there any other channels that you are active on that that people can get a uh, in touch with you on? Yeah, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I I do some uh, crazy stuff sometimes, and uh, I really yeah, almost like gave it. your your phone number away. <laughs> almost, yeah. <laughs> so you can contact me. I'm uh, Adar Hey A D A R. H-A-Y, and uh, drop a message. Uh, I'd really like to, to talk there. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Adar, for, for taking the time to, to chat with me today on manufactured parts sourcing. Um, I think there's there's a lot of value in, in the conversation we had in terms of helping folks uh, think about the problem, think about the pain points they have in that space and that, that vertical, as you described it, and, and figure out how they can um, better optimize that process within their existing context and, and IT infrastructure. So thanks, thanks so much. Thank you, Joel. Thank you for inviting me. It was fun. Thanks for tuning in to Pure Procurement, hosted by yours truly, Joel Conne de Mers. I hope you took something away from today's episode to help you keep fighting the good fight. If you have any comments or questions, you can stop by my website at pureprocurement.ca. There's a ton of procurement-related articles and resources there for you as well. If you like what you see, I'd love to count you as a subscriber to my monthly newsletter. Every month, I bring you the top five pieces of source-to-pay content I came across that month. All you need to do is to click the big button on the top right of the homepage. That's it. Thanks again for listening to Pure Procurement. Until next time.